Hello and welcome to The Schism. This podcast is all about critical thinking, dot connecting, the nature of reality, and trying to uncover the truth about the world we live in, society, who we are, and where we come from. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Schism. Today I'm joined by my co-host Adam. Hello everyone. We've talked a lot about the pandemic already in previous episodes, but today we want to really set the stage for what has happened and look at the major players in the pandemic and what they're up to in the years and events leading up to the current crisis. And we want to look at how the idea of a global virus bringing the world to a standstill has been played out in popular culture as well as on the actual world stage from the Spanish flu right up until recent outbreaks like the SARS virus and mm-hmm. bird flu and swine flu. Oh yeah, we remember all those ones. <laughs> but um, as we've recently discussed in the episodes leading up to this, Hollywood is used as a tool for pre-programming and getting the public used to seeing the world in ways that the powers that be want them to see the world. Yeah. And they help us compartmentalise between fact and fiction. This is real. This can never happen. This is likely to happen. We discussed in an earlier episode about the story of Titanic that was prophesied in the book. (laughs) The Titan hitting an iceberg. So when that happened in real life, you know, it was more more plausible. Totally plausible. And if you look at, I mean, there's been a lot of pandemic movies in the last, say, decade or two. And Contagion in 2011 was so similar to oh, the pandemic happening. Similarities are like remarkable. Yeah, yeah, we watched it again recently and the whole time we were just ticking boxes. This is the same, this is the same, this is the same, like the whole way through it. It obviously starts in China, the same as COVID, and you get to know through the film like it started through a bat, which is the same. Yeah. But then a bat interacting with a pig and... and well, being they, they get that early from the film that they analyse the DNA from the first sample and they find it strange that there's bat and pig DNA in the virus. They're like, oh, this is a weird mutation for them to... The pig's eating the bat, I'm guessing. Or like, or, well, yeah. And yeah, there's been a mutation from this animal mix. <laughs> <laughs> it's straight away reminded me of the rat monkey from Brain Dead that we spoke about in that in an earlier episode. <laughs> but, but yeah, it, so, you, so you've got the bat thing going on, the fact that it came from China, in Contagion, it's from Hong Kong. Obviously, we're led to believe that it came from Wuhan in China, but it still came from China. It's a respiratory disease. Yep. It's airborne. Yep. It's flu-like. But obviously, in Contagion, it's a lot more deadly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is like a real pandemic. You know, when people, like, there's people in Contagion that look like they're on death's door just walking down the street. Yeah, seriously ill people. I mean... And that's just at the start. Just from when the first character is, like, Gwyneth Paltrow's character, I mean, when she first contracts it within, like, less than 12 hours... She's having a fit. She's having a fit. And then within 24 hours, she's a goner. And her, and, and her husband, played by Matt Damon, he's he, like, can't... He's just in a state of complete denial because he was like, we were just having a pizza, a, yeah. a dinner. She's just come back from abroad. She's just come back from a travel travelling flight. She was fine when she got off the plane. Exactly, yeah. And now, a few hours later, she's yeah. dead. 
And then there's like a guy, a guy she's got a call that's on the bus and she's like, get off the bus. And he just looks like he's literally going to keel over and he's like, like coughing as he comes off and everyone's like, whoa. Oh, that, you know, that was a pretty, pretty grim scene, isn't it? Because she's like, are you around anyone right now? It's like, I'm just on a bus. And her face just drops like, warning. Yeah. And the film keeps zooming in, doesn't it? To like hands on, like his hand on the... Touching the rail or something. They have like a zoom out and then a zoom back into the stuff he's touched, like it would be a handrail or the side or... Yeah. Because there's a bit where like Kate uh, Winslet's character is sort of saying, do you know how much you touch your face every minute? Thousands of times. And as they're walking down the stairs, the guy she's saying to is to touches his face. She's like, stop touching your face, Larry. And he's like, oh, dear, not realising that he's actually doing it at the same time. Yeah, yeah it's... It, when you watch it now, it's like really feels like the, the, the social conditioning of like, you know, you touch your face all the time. Like, you're constantly spreading germs. You've got to wear a mask. Yeah, you've yeah. got to like put disinfectant on your hands. It's all about, you know, not going near anyone. And, and it's sort of ramped up in contagion obviously but a lot of it just reminds you of straight out of the early early stages what it was like with yeah i mean i was reading reports where people were having to say goodbye to their loved ones via like an ipad because like mum was dying and dad and the kids are out in the waiting room they're like oh well you can't come in covid's too it's too infectious well you could have to say goodbye through an ipad well you could argue that all about all the dnls they sent out I mean, they were almost like expecting people to die, but I mean, you didn't have them sending the DNRs out that quick in contagion, did you? I mean, come on. Those people barely had time to receive a DNR before they were dead. Well, that's the point. <laughs> during during the pandemic that we're living through, everyone has died in the hospital. No one's been dying on the street like they were in the beginning in China. I've oh, never yeah. seen that anywhere else in well, the world. All those weird fainting videos. Yeah. yeah. Um, like in China, they made it look like the movie Contagion. There was people in hazmat suits. Yeah. There was armies of people out on the street in Wuhan Being spraying spray, disinfectant yeah. on the streets. They look like the Ghostbusters. They had like big jetpacks yeah, on their yeah. back. And it's like pretty cool gear, if I'm honest, mate, actually. Like, yeah, it's like, like a cross between like a deep sea diver and like a, a Ghostbuster and a whole like squad of them like shh, spraying all the roads. I mean, it looked intense. Yeah, it was fun. I remember watching it thinking, Jesus Christ, like yeah. what is going on That's here? Serious, man. But never been like that anywhere else. No, you haven't seen them marching down like anywhere like you. And if it's that deadly and that infectious that they're spraying the roads and wearing hazmat suits and stuff like that. Why is there no bins for the masks? Point. You think all the germs that they'd be carrying around with them, they need safe disposal. Well, sanitary you need disposal. Bo- you need bio bins for them. I mean, if it's that deadly, it's that hazardous, they're that infected, the mask must be the most infected thing. Around your face. Right. So why are they not... I don't know how many masks I've seen drawn across from here to South End, mate, since it started. In fact, they're big, one of the biggest pollution problems since this whole outbreak has been... Yeah, I love, been thrown away. I love the fact that we've banned straws. <laughs> yeah. Because it has the environment. But now there's just masks everywhere. And you can bet that the masks are getting tangled up in, like, birds and fish. Yeah, and yeah. Gutters. Yeah, everywhere. Messing up the sewer system, the whole lot. Yeah, yeah. literally see them everywhere. And... Every time I see one as well, I think that's obviously come from a person that's wearing a mask. Therefore, I'm guessing they believe there's a virus or, you know, think there's a need to wear one. But they don't think it's so deadly that they, they just chuck it on the floor, yeah. you know. I mean, not, I mean, put it this way. In, so in, how much do they believe? In the field contagion, whenever they got touched with any 
uh, compromised blood or plasmized blood. They were like... They were gonna. They were gonna. They were like throwing their clothes, even trying to get their clothes off, but realising it was probably too late anyway. Yeah. I mean, the difference between throwing a mask around that's carrying an infectious disease in it for just waste on the floor and then these people in the film who are actually carrying something that was so serious that, well, you wouldn't even want to touch any bit of their clothing. I mean, obviously there's disaster movies of all kinds, but what, what these pandemic movies that are really kind of disaster movies, they follow the same blueprint, except they're just like all about a virus or an outbreak. They have kind of given people the drill, like, if this ever happened, you know, this is what it would be like, and we'd have to go into quarantine, mm-hmm. and all these measures would be put in place, and military would probably come in, and yeah. because they've seen it in all these movies. Like, another movie that was actually quite a while before Contagion, but I think it's definitely worth a mention, is Outbreak. Yeah. And cl- it's in 1995. Cl- and it's a classic as well. It is a classic, yeah. I always remember the, the cover of the... And the poster of just like the monkey. monkey. The monkey with the... He was like, oh, it was his mouth over screaming. Outbreak. Outbreak. Just says, try to remain calm. What a great slogan for a film. This is the era of the 90s blockbusters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, compared to the strapline of Contagion, which is nothing spreads as fast as fear, which is so spot on with the current pandemic we're living through. I mean... Because this whole whole thing's been fueled by fear. It's a fear virus. That's like, like, really, they got it so... Like, bang on the money, nothing spreads as fast as fear. It's like, wow. wow. But yeah, the outbreak, try to remain calm. So 90s, I love it. I know. Try and to remain calm. For, for all two hours of this film. Yeah, it's a long film. Yeah, it's got good hours for an old old classic, yeah. Yeah, we watched it again. It has a few different changes in the story, doesn't it? I like how it starts quite early in the 60s in yeah. the African village, you know, where they find the... Madobo virus. And it has like similar origins. Like, what was the, um, I mean, obviously from like a monkey. Yeah. And it was from someone's like pet monkey, but that they got from. They got from the village. The village, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, again, a monkey, mm-hmm. like, it's like from an animal and an animal that you could, oh yeah. Like from, you for, could, from a foreign country as well. It's not like it ever starts in a Western society like Britain or America. Oh, we came from. Africa, oh, of course. And you can imagine the Western reaction, like, yeah, they go around eating things like monkeys and bats. I mean, what do you think's going to happen? In these filthy wet markets? Like, yeah, yeah. You can imagine people straight away was like, would, would, would say stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. They shouldn't be eating that filth. I, d- I do like the best thing about... They eat snakes and all sorts. <laughs> I did actually like the best thing about Outbreak was it was actually had the... The bio weapon feel with it, because part of the film is yeah, also the- them trying to contain the outbreak. But the dark, hidden other sort of side of this film is how the military already knew about this virus and they kind of had a semi like antidote to it, but they didn't want to release the antidote because they had the virus as a biological weapon to be used in the future against, I don't know, the Russians, the Chinese. But that was the other sort of part of the, of the story, wasn't it? You know, that they were trying to, Dustin Hoffman and his team are part of like a bio-containment team, isn't he? Yeah. He's pretty good in it, actually, Dustin Hoffman. I mean, yeah, I think he was good. He was really good in it, you yeah. know. And the whole sort of part of them trying to sort of contain the outbreak, but of course, at the same time, the military trying to protect their investment as well. I always loved that about the thing. It's strange because in Outbreak, you've got this whole conspiracy where actually 
the government and the guy that's that kind of represents the military industrial complex who like wants to nuke mm. the town. In fact, like he's obsessed with it. Yeah. He's like really annoyed when he's like, What do you mean I can't nuke it? Like yeah. he really wants Don't, to Donald, Donald Sutherland really brings off a great antagonistic role there. Yeah. Yeah, like you said with his steely grey eyes. Kudos, Donald. Kudos. <laughs> he was evil. You know, the fact that they actually the point when they actually had the the antidote and they still wanna burn the place yeah whereas in whereas in Contagion Jude Law's character who is like the kind of conspiracy theorist he was presented in a way like he was a nutcase he thought everything was a conspiracy he thought everyone was out to get him and then actually he ended up being like a snake oil salesman selling a a phony the cure, frenzy, yeah, to, to 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 make people believe that they could get a cure from yeah, an right. outbreak in that film. But after all, he wasn't even sick when he was taking it, so he got found out at the end. Yeah, way he was just a charlatan. He he was just in it for the money, conning people. Just the way they portray portraying the conspiracy theorists yes. in that film. It was almost like them saying, "So you know, if this ever happens in real life, anyone that's like." bit of a conspiracy theorist going against the official narrative. They're probably trying to sell you something. Of course. If it's forensia oil or, you know, any other kind of natural cure or they're saying it's not real or governments and big pharma have some kind of agenda, they're a quack, they're a crazy, and they're they're probably trying to con you. But, I mean, pretty crazy that fast forward to the time we're living in now and you've got people like Joe Rogan that are saying that they've taken ivermectin and it's cured them or at least they tested positive and then they didn't test positive or they were unwell and then they got well again. And he got back in our good books, didn't he, Joe, for that? Yeah. But Joe kind of, we we sort of give our props to Joe for that one about actually coming out of his alternative media stance and actually really putting a finger to how you can just get over this without needing a jab. But I think, you know, funny with the outbreak film is that the outbreak obviously was unfortunate because they didn't expect this whole thing to go off, did they? That was the, the real unfortunate part about the film. It wasn't released on purpose. This wasn't a bio-weapon that was intentionally released. It just got back from its original source in Africa through a monkey, a monkey that was stolen to be a pet. I always felt bad for the monkey, don't you, in the film? Wasn't that a bit when they, the guy releases the monkey into the wild just to get rid of it because he can't sell it? Which is, and then the monkey like, wants to go back in the cage. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Even though it's a monkey carrying going a highly dangerous disease. <laughs> but yeah, I, I always thought the, the funny thing about that was the, even though the outbreak was accidental and it was obviously, we're talking in terms of Ebola being one of the most infectious diseases and deadly diseases on this planet, but it's still treatable and you can survive from it. The more dopa virus in outbreak, what was it? 100% fatality rate. I mean, compared to pretty much a 99% recovery rate from COVID. So it's like <laughs> the opposite of outbreak. <laughs> One, 1% off. <laughs> I know. Like that's a pandemic, something that if you catch, you've got a 100% chance of dying from, no matter who you are, what age you are. <laughs> Close your doors! You know, like, that I would be quite happy to go into lockdown over. Oh, if yeah. it was something like that, I would not be complaining. I wouldn't be out on the streets. I wouldn't be going to the marches. And I certainly wouldn't be going, but is it real, though? Yeah, no. And no, no one would be. No, no, they wouldn't be questioning it. No, you, you, would, you would be you in a state it. of mourning, like mourning the dead, and you'd be either pre- preparing to die yourself <laughs> or thinking, is this nightmare ever going to end? Yeah. You know, should I take my own life? It, it, no one would be... Like, no one was saying during the Black Plague or Spanish flu, like, is this actually happening? Are they exaggerating this? 
people were bit, like throwing bodies into pits. Yeah. But no one was there like going like, is it real though? Ding, ding, ding. Bring her, you dead. Yeah. Ignore them. In a way, I felt like they played their hand too early with the outbreak film with Hollywood because people haven't people have actually seen what a real pandemic and in contagions meant to look like. Yeah, we're faced with the one now, and it doesn't look anything like it. Yeah, but, yeah, but th that, that's the point. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it's got a ninety nine or what, what whatever it is ninety eight point something yeah. recovery rate. Doesn't need to be, does it? It doesn't matter if the media says it's deadly. It's spreading. Cases it's are going up. You know, we're talking, we'll talk later in, in the next episode about the PCR test and the cases and, and things like that. But in so many ways, it's a case-demic. That's the, the, the scaremongering has come from the cases, not the deaths. Because yeah. as we go into, in 2020, no more people really died than previous years. It wasn't a huge spike no. in deaths there. So it wasn't fueled by the deaths, it was fueled by the cases. Exactly. So we spoke in our previous zombie survival episode about zombie movies with viruses like yeah. world war z 28 days later 28 weeks later resident evil i am legend Legends. it become the kind of norm you know become the main narrative in zombie movies after what it, yeah, it wasn't it, like it, dead it, rising out it was, graves, infection. it was like infections yeah. outbreaks and then yeah other movies viva vendetta had the a virus, Mary's virus and stuff. Yeah, that they had sort of cultivated and claimed to have let go, and then they had everyone under the fear of panic right. that it was out there, and it was a great way to sort of push over Orwellian dictatorship. But it's the same thing. They ban people from speaking in small groups. You know, break the breakdown of communication, community, so everyone's reduced his tiny little clusters and information's harder to obtain. So if you control the flow of information, I think that's kind of the best thing with you for Vendetta. You can control what everyone thinks. And kind of crazy with that movie that obviously the anonymous mask has now become synonymous with these, not just anonymous, yeah. the group. Hugo Weaving's V, yeah, his mask has come representational of the... Uh, just rebellion now, and, and, and you see it all the time people at the marches have got them on and stuff. It, it really is like life imitating art. And yeah. I don't know much about Anonymous. I'm not really sure what, what I make of them, to be fair. Me neither. Yeah, I quite I, I quite like the mask as like a symbol of rebellion. Definitely. They must have made some profits off selling the masks. <laughs> They're probably made in a factory in China. <laughs> you know, children and men probably is the big one. Children and Men, yeah. I really thought Children and Men was great, actually. I, I, Probably one of my favourite films. I'm, I'm not big, actually, on Clive Owen as an actor, but that's the one film I saw him in, I thought. Yeah, it's kind of set in, film. like, uh, what I call, like, a Hunger Games society where most of the population is living in, like, complete yeah. poverty. This is before Hunger Games as well came out. Yeah, everyone, it feels like they're, like, a refugee or on the run. And there's people like being kept in these like big sort of like cages and containment units at like the borders and stuff. Yeah, and it's yeah. very like like it it reminds you of how you've seen people being contained at like the US borders and stuff. Yeah, and this yeah. was way way before them them sort of recent shots came out. Kind of crazy. Like it's really spot on with the kind of like new world order well, totalitarian takeover and it's final stages because their because their idea behind children and men is the idea of a virus has made women infertile yeah well you know we're not 
given too much idea to where that virus came from in the film. But that virus could be anything. It doesn't necessarily, necessarily mean it could be in the air. It could be in something they're given to you. I mean, there's no way of knowing how it got into the population. But one thing, you know, it was probably done secretly and covertly. Because why else would you want to stop every woman on the planet giving birth to control population? Uh, Clive Owen's like a delivery guy, isn't he? His, his part of the film is to actually deliver a woman who can give birth. And she's wanted, isn't she, by governments and coups alike because they believe she's the key to the future because she's the last female that they believe can still give natural birth. I think it's, it was a, actually a classic, especially when it has the crossover, the idea of the end of society. You know, you see people with these female camps. They're all sort of separated. The society's really broken down. But then you've also got this, on the other side, this race to find this woman who could maybe reverse this world. Yeah, there's a great bit in the movie where they're in like the middle of a war zone and he kind of walks her out and they can see that she's holding a baby. Yeah, yeah. And everyone just stops. stops. Only for a moment, only while they're walking out and then they kind of continue afterwards. But it's like no one had ever seen a newborn baby before and it just made everyone just stop fighting for it's a second. great scene, man. So it's easy to induce a state of panic in people because they know the drill from seeing so so much of this yeah. in movies and series and and the, and the things that happen leading up to this, things like swine flu and bird flu and SARS and all these things that were sort of drummed up to, to maybe be the next pandemic. Oh, it might be like something from the movies. You know, it's, it's been a constant thing. You know, that, that hasn't been the reality of our pandemic. Like, when you look at it, no more people died in 2020 than in previous years. Mm. Not really. Not really right? no. And you just feel like people sort of, like, people forget so easily, like Graham Hancock says that we're a species with amnesia. Uh, and he's talking about, like, the ancient past, but I think we're like that even in terms of remembering last year no, or a few years back. No, yeah, like yeah. People forget that every year the NHS is at breaking point. Every winter it's super busy. Understaffed. And understaffed. Yeah. And every winter they scare us with really similar stories about that. Yeah, I've got a little document here. The Guardian Winter NHS Narrative just goes through the years, like from 2012 to 2019, and just the kind of headlines that they ran with. 2012, hospitals fall to bursting as bed shortage hits danger level. 2013, hospitals scramble to prevent crisis in NHS toughest ever winter. Jesus. Ever. Scary. 2014, more patients, overstretched doctors, is the NHS facing a winter crisis? The fear! And the images to go with this as well, this one's like a speeding ambulance van with some paramedics like, get him in! <laughs> 2015, hospital bed occupancy rates hit record high risking care. Notice how every time it's like toughest ever. Or like record high, it's like each time it's worse than the previous, but it's actually the same. 2016, <laughs> hospitals in England told to put operations on hold to free up beds. Oh, it's getting really serious. Oh, and the surgeons look really deadly serious over this surgeon in this picture. I mean, you can tell they're... We're losing breaking. him! We're a breaking point in here! 2017, NHS bosses sound alarm over hospitals already running at 99% capacity. What, they only have 1% of capacity <laughs> left? 
Oh my God. What, what if I don't make the 1%? What if I'm not the 1%? They've only got one bed left, June. Uh, again, it's like they couldn't go any higher. Like 99% capacity. 2018. We're nearly there, guys. Oh, yeah, give us a minute. NHS intensive care units sending patients elsewhere due to lack of beds. <laughs> beds again? So careless as well. <laughs> sending patients, yeah, elsewhere. Where? <laughs> Back home. <laughs> Shoot them into orbit. <laughs> Dr. Nick from The Simpsons. <laughs> Great. <laughs> 2019, hospital beds at record low in England as NHS struggles with demand. So it's the same yeah. narrative every year. Nothing changes. You know, you could have added COVID to any of them. You know, hospitals scramble to prevent COVID crisis in, a in NHS's toughest ever winter. Like, you just slip that in there and it could be a fear-mongering headline from this year. Yeah. The only difference is they've just rebranded the flu, COVID-19. I know. That's it. It's just like replace that word. But like I said, we're a species. Well, not. I'm, I'm now taking credit for uh, Graham's. Like I said, we're a species with amnesia. I said it <laughs> a minute ago. Oh, we love you, Graham. But yeah, like even to even to what happened last year or the year before, we just kind of forget. It's insanity. I know. And we also forget that <laughs> historically our government hasn't given a crap about the NHS. They wanted to sell it off and privatise it for years and they historically don't care about nurses and like care homes like oh it's all about saving the old and you know saving the, the sick and the vulnerable when have they cared about the old? When have they cared about the sick and the vulnerable? Giving pensioners a pittance of a pension and letting them freeze to death in their homes over the winter and they don't care about no, these people. No, they never have. In fact, they've historically not given a shit about them. Honestly. I, I've, I mean, I've worked in care, worked in care for quite some time. And I'll tell you, I don't think the local councils through the government would give any of the local care homes any extra money to help them support the people that live there. Hell no. You were often run off donations and private funds. But did any money really come down for the government to help these companies to support their ever-growing elderly population? God, no. You can't say, like, these the government's ever no. stuck their neck out because they have No, and then suddenly they're like, save our NHS. Yes, our NHS. It's always been ours. Mm. I personally use private healthcare, but it's still ours. Ours to give. In the sense of nation. <laughs> ours to give, yours to have for a moment in time, but always ours forever and onwards. <laughs> but if it's put under stress, like it is, we'll take it away. <laughs> But taking it out of the UK for a moment, if you look at Time magazine, I've got like a, a document in front of me. It's just the same fear, different year. Time magazine in 2003, just a picture of a girl's face with a, with a mask on. The truth about SARS in bright red letters. 2004, just a big egg cracking. Bird flu. <laughs> 2005, picture of a rooster. It just says death threat. 2009, picture of a mask slung on the floor. Why you'll be wearing masks again. So funny that, 2009, the picture of a mask slung on the floor. Remember this, this was Time Magazine's front of the front covers. 2009, 10 years later, I think you've seen that same mask laying on the floor somewhere near you. Yeah, another one in 2009, H1N1, written on a blackboard. How bad will it get? <laughs> Time uh, in 2014, chasing Ebola. Sounds like a gold medal. 2016, 
The Zika virus. Oh, yeah, remember that one? Oh, God. Two, 2017, warning, we are not ready for the next pandemic. That's just Bill Gates and his TED Talk all over. That was in 2015. Ooh, that's a bath. But Bill really laid it out for us. Gates. Like the prophet he is. I mean, Jesus Christ. If we think contagion laid things out, well, we Bill, weren't ready for Bill's TED Talk. Well, Gates has clearly got the crystal ball. So we actually went back and watched that TED Talk again earlier, didn't we? Yeah. It's not It's not very long. It's about... Was it nine, under nine minutes? Ten minutes or something, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's kind of a weird one. How's it, how's it start? <laughs> well, I, I love the fact that he starts the video with pushing what looks... What initially looks like a barrel of toxic waste down to the stage. But yeah, it, right. But okay. it's actually something I've never seen before, which was one of those civil department barrels, container barrels they gave to people when they thought it was going to be a nuclear holocaust. Yeah, I forgot this part of it. So when I saw him, like, <laughs> I was like, what? Is he, is he, is he bringing out soup? He's what? like, sorry, wrong meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I came for the Alcoholics Anonymous. This is the soup for lunch. I mean, the, the entrance was spectacular. Um, I mean, alone, because who wills out a barrel at the start of a speech? But he's, he's he old. Does. Gates does. And he talks about how when they were younger, the biggest thing that his family feared was, of course, the fear of nuclear war. So that's why they had this container barrel and they were told to always keep food in there in case, you know, the missiles come down and they've got to use this barrel to survive in their house. We see, I came from an ordinary family. <laughs> I suffered. We were going to have to eat out of a barrel. We never did. Oh, my God, please. But, you know, if it had happened, it was still there. But, yeah. I'm just like you. That's what it felt like to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was kind it's of... Like, first of all, Bill, you got to go in there and you got to, you know, get down to their level. Look like you're a family guy from a regular family background. Make them forget you're a billionaire. You just for a second. You are a normal guy back you then. You come from a normal family. You were going to go and have to live in a basement, Bill. Yeah. You were about as ordinary as you can get. You were scared of the commies. We all were. But that was... What's funny is, as soon as he said basement, now I just thought Biden. Yeah. <laughs> like as soon as he was like, we would have to go down in the basement and eat out this barrel, just straight away, Biden just come, <laughs> come to my head. Well, he spent most of the uh, electric down there. In, in, in the basement. So now I just, I've, I will always just think of him as basement Biden. Shit, maybe the gates took him down there and then I forgot to bring him out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just put him down there with one of them barrels. <laughs> but, you know, uh, the whole point was... He wanted to get us in the thing that is all fit. These are direct quotes, yeah. If there's anything that will kill tens of millions in the next few decades, it will be an infectious disease, not a war. Microbes, not missiles. We're not ready for the next epidemic. I mean, whoop, 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 fear. And he shows like a slide of a nuclear warhead and he's like, it won't be one of these. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It'll be one of these. <laughs> and then it's just a fucking virus. <laughs> yeah. it kind of looks, kind of... You know, it's kind of like a nuclear explosion. Yeah. Like a 360 one. Like, yeah, yeah. It will be one of these. Even more deadly. And see how I've blown it up so it's the same size? Exactly. Imagine if it was that size. Exactly. Well, it doesn't need to be. It's fear straight out of there in the face. Don't worry about nukes anymore. You have bugs to worry about. Straight away, slide two. The audio will get straight into he's the... He's loving it. He's getting the brass tacks. You can tell he's taking the centre stage. He's taking the centre stage. He's got not a smirk, but he's got like a very sort of... He's, he's always nearly smirking. Nearly smirking. He's always holding in a smirk. He looks like he's smirking through his eyes. His eyes look like they're smirking. If your eyes could smirk, 
Gates is like, it's going to smirk. But the idea is... I'm going to smirk you so bad. But I like the fact the next slide is the best one because he goes straight on. This is quite important for everyone, remember. He shows us one picture of the, the funding to the military, which is three, million, three trillion, beg your pardon, three trillion dollars. And next to it, a picture of a needle with a zero sign of dollars, which is obviously show how there's no uh, funding for, you know, sort of these, what should you call them, vaccination programs? Sounds about right. But, you know, one thing we just want to quickly know about that three trillion is later on, he actually also men mentions in his TED talk that if there was a pandemic in the future, of a Spanish flu size epidemic that it could wipe three trillion of the global economy. Mm. Three trillion to the military, three trillion of the global economy. And hang on, wait again, how many trillions did the billionaires all make during the crisis of the economy? A collapsing apparently during the pandemic. So already these massive numbers we've heard, we have actually heard before. Well, the 50 richest billionaires on the planet cumulatively earn nearly two trillion and I'm sure that number's even higher by this point. Of course. So it's straight away you just see this wealth transfer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. They're, they're like predicting it. They're showing you. He's showing you in his TED talk that money will be lost. I look, I don't see those money lost rates. I look at it as someone loses money and someone else gains it. Well very quickly he sort of goes on to the I don't know if I'm jumping the gun now, but he kind of goes on to talking about blood plasma and stuff like that. And you and me looked at each other both at the same time and just went, he's not even a doctor. Well, he's not even a scientist. Well, the, like, weird, the weirdest thing was that was he he all of a sudden, what I loved about Gates and his whole TED, TED Talks is he goes from wanting to use this Ebola outbreak as his first pro case study. As case study. Now, what I just want to bring into the whole Ebola thing, 10,000 deaths over 461 days. Okay, looking at terms of outbreaks, this is quite a few people dead, but that's not a gigantic amount of people, is it? 10,000 people in 461 days. Okay, just get, get that in your head. So it's not huge. I mean, it's quite a lot, but it's not biblical amounts, okay? So he wants to sort of, I mean, it's hardly compared to the 100% mortality rate Ebola has compared to the film outbreak. Come on, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so... His idea, his whole idea was he was talking about, oh, like if we'd use uh, the blood plasma from previously infected people uh, from Ebola and put that back into population, we could circulate that and help people fight off, fight off the uh, potential infection in the future. Well, it's like, I look, Bill, hang on, this, what, you're, you're a doctor now? Like, what are you talking about putting... Yeah. But that, that was a weird link. Yeah, I don't mean to brag, but I've got exactly the same medical degree as Bill Gates. <laughs> Which is <laughs> absolutely nothing. He's not a doctor. He's not a scientist. He's not a professor. Like, yeah. I wonder how useful Bill would be in a sort of situation where it was like, anyone, is there a doctor around? I know. Oh, Bill, do you want to step in? You're, I mean, you know a lot about health, right? Mental. <laughs> absolutely. It's like, it is. Bill? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it is crazy because you, there's a lot of jumps of Bill in his TED talks from like how all of a sudden he's a doctor. He's figuring out what to do in the case of a pandemic because I use my big computer brain. You know, I can lend it to anything: yeah. health, climate change. He concludes what I like from the whole bowler thing. Quote: These things are a global failure. 
Uh, Bill, I don't think the world is responsible for eating bad meat out of West Africa. I mean, basically saying the, the WHO is strong and I'm a good funder for it at the moment, but I think I could take more control, flexing his muscles, basically, Bill saying, if I had more power with the WHO, I could further your vaccination programs, your medical procedures, your data. What was the thing about him and the funding? between him and, him and Trump and the WHO? Well, yeah, that's, that's what's interesting. Obviously, this TED Talk's in 2015. Fast forward to just before the pandemic started, six weeks before the pandemic kicked off, somewhere around there, Bill Gates leaves Microsoft yeah. full-time, joins the WHO full-time, and Bill Gates is like, at, at that point, I think he's the second biggest funder of the WHO, just behind the US. But because of, well, Trump basically wants to pull out of the WHO because Trump's taking this stance of like, it's from China. He pulls the funding, but then what that does is that elevates Gates up uh -huh. to become the number one funder of the WHO. And he basically becomes the controller of the WHO. I know. So already from the weirdest thing about his TED Talk is he's not in that position. We're talking at about now point. at that point, but he's already positioning himself to saying, I have got the means to take this on. He does mention about Ebola being easier to spot, you know, because it was obviously, you know, people got very sick, they were in bed. I mean, by the time they were contagious, they were bed bound, so it could easier to sort of quarantine them. And of course, Ebola was in rural areas, Reese. It didn't get anywhere near cities and stuff, so it was a lot easier to contain. But I like the fact he adds, like, however, in a future, I would do his voice, but it's hard to maintain that creepy evil gates voice. So <laughs> I'll just do it in my voice. <laughs> you can break into it. I'll break into it when I feel like it. <laughs> but however, in a future, you could well have a virus where people could feel well enough to go to the market or get on an aeroplane. The source of the virus could be natural or bioterrorism. Now, in this one quote, all these some way in another can be directly tied into the pandemic in terms of how it, where it was found, because he did mention market, how and where it was transferred across the planet by planes, which was, of course, how it got to Italy, apparently, how it got to America, apparently, how it got to, into Europe, apparently. It's kind of like leaving breadcrumbs or, yeah. or really Hansel and Gretel. just yeah. laying out the whole thing. Let's just, let's just say, say. Yeah. let's just say so it's a flu-like... Resurrecting, just like laying everything out. Let's just say it's airborne, and even if it was natural or bioterrorism. I mean, the fact that you've already had to question that, the fact that he's already popped in that talk about bioterrorism, which I think is pretty outrageous. He's talking about controlling an epidemic. He's talking about Ebola, and then he wants all of a sudden just quickly throwing bioterrorism in there. Yeah, right, yeah. Give us something to think about in the future, isn't that right? Yeah. All those conspiracy heads? You think he's giving of, people... Came out of Wuhan lab, did it? He's giving people the two options that they want people to choose. Straight option away. A, it's just a virus that came from a bat. And option B, for the people that are a bit suspicious, no, it's a bioweapon. Exactly. It came from a lab. And he's offering both the options. But okay. what if it's option C? It's a PSYOP. It's a psychological operation. It's a fake pandemic to bring about centralised control and take you of your freedoms and all the rest of it. No, no, no. Option C is never mentioned. Yeah, I decided not to write that one into my agenda. It's like, you could say to almost anyone, I don't believe that it come from a bat. 
at a wet market, I believe it come from that Wuhan lab. And they're not going to go, fuck, conspiracy head, oh, my God, they're probably going, oh, yeah, probably. I've seen a film where it come from the bio lab, so it sounds like it makes sense. Boom. Yeah. Gotcha. And the person that thinks that probably thinks, I've cracked it, mate. Yeah, it didn't come from a bat, come from the lab, didn't it? Then you would think, okay, what, was it released on purpose or did it leak out by accident? Because by accident... It seems highly unlikely they would just spill. I mean, I mean you've seen these places, they're right? They're pretty, like, steel pretty doors. Contained. Yeah. Pretty contained places. Like, guys with hazmat suits on, <laughs> you know. Eye-reading I, I security, like, doors and stuff. All in, like, some, like, deep freeze units or whatever, like... Went underground? Imagine on. Did one of them just sneak out? No, no, it didn't, did it? No. No, I don't, I don't think so. Did you leave the back? You didn't leave the back door open. I swear I'll see the security guard coughing this morning. <laughs> Shit! Yeah, I just can't see that one at all. But if people believe in the Wuhan lab story, I don't think they believe it was leaked by accident. I, I mean, a lot of them might do. They might think, oh, we're incompetent, China are corrupt, they've covered it up. But then if they released it on purpose, why would they release it just up the road from the lab? It's going to get traced back because people are going to go, where did it start? Wuhan. What's in Wuhan? A massive bio lab. <laughs> right. Did it come from there then? No. It just happened to come from a bat at a wet market near the lab. Exactly. I mean, that's like when there's like three-eyed fish in Springfield Lake right near the Mr. Burns power plant and you like, nothing to do with me. Like, <laughs> the, the, the fish. <laughs> Three eyes. Yeah, I mean... What, what I do like is the fact that he gates is almost, he plays your fears straight away. I mean, like, straight away. Remember, he even uses, in halfway through his talk, in the background, the Contagion film slide. The posters. Oh, yeah. And he says, actual TED Talk people. In real life, it's not handsome Hollywood stars like in this movie. Come on. And everyone's like... <laughs> yeah, we've all seen that film, Contagion. <laughs> yeah, right. I bet they don't look like Jude Law and stuff. But Jude Law's the middle one. That was the mm, thing that you noticed. I know. how They had used three posters from the film and the fact that they used the conspiracy theorist as the middle poster. So everyone who's seen that film would go, oh, I remember Jude Law's role in it all. He was that barking mad loon who thought he knew everything. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah wouldn't want to listen to anyone like that. Anything time this arrives, well, yeah, they got that one. He was back. only in it for the coin. He was, like, selling, like, some fake cure for it. Exactly. So I like the fact that Geeks decided he'd pop that one in his little TED Just for a little laugh. Yeah, because it was, it was almost like feeding back off the pre- programming fear you know you don't have to see the film once and think oh that would scare me if that ever happens and he's like let me just remind you of what happened you can teach him you know so these hollywood stars they don't know how it really is in the field he's not like me are you a doctor then well no but i know more than these jacked up hollywood stars (laughs) but i do want to sort of end the whole thing with his main point of his ted talk and why he was trying to implement this idea of a pandemic he uses Spanish flurries. I mean, dude, the weirdest thing is about this is the fact that he wants to use something that happened over 100 years ago as a model for what could happen now. I think uh, the chances of something like a Spanish flu epidemic happening again was, is, is highly unlikely. But yet he wanted to get straight in at the deep end and use this as a model straight away. Everyone in the room has to look at this as an, an opportunity to see some fear. What if Spanish flu happened now? 
Now we know the difference between Ebola and Spanish flu is massive. Spanish flu killed like 33 million people in 261 days, which is quite a few hundred days shorter than Ebola and quite a few more million people. So, you know, we, we are aware how deadly Spanish flu is. Now that's because we are aware of it from history. That's a, already a pre-programmed fear that we already have. So he taps into that beautifully, even though it's pretty irregular that you're using Spanish flu as your operational program to show how this could happen. So the weirdest part is that he makes this whole concoction that showing how quickly Spanish flu spread through the world, right? He uses globe and has the redness of all Spanish flu popping up in the world. And quote, he says, it spread through the world quickly. This is a serious problem. We should be concerned. And it's like, what the fuck, Gates? This happened a hundred years ago. What, while the fear baiting now, do you know something that we don't? And when you look into the Spanish That's flu as well, it started in all the army camps after they vaxxed all the soldiers. Exactly. And he, there's so much information that points to the Spanish flu not being what, what we were told it was. I was like, well, we're really uncertain what really happened there, but he's trying to use it as a model. But I love a couple last ones that he mentions. Which Just for fear, Margaret. But I love the fact that he comes into this demigod status from the end. Right at the last two minutes, Gates changes. All of a sudden, like, I can't to resolve your problems. Ah. In the building. The Microsoft sound. Yeah. You, you can imagine it come, comes behind him. Ah. Gates rises in. <laughs> Gates rises. And quote, but in technology... We can build a real good response system. We have all the benefits of science and technology here, you know, i.e. his fucked up Gates Foundation and the technocratic dynasty that he built under Microsoft. You know, I just want to say that he also says cell phones. It's now how we can spread information about the outbreak to people quicker. We have satellite maps that can see people moving. Yeah, right. William State Surveillance come to mind when he said that. Yeah. You know, and then incredible technology. And, 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 and he's getting really excited. Yeah, he, I remember towards the end. Oh, he's building up now, dude. Oh, now, yeah. he's, now he's, we're tickling his crotch, you know. Yeah. He, you can tell. He's yeah, riding at three o'clock now, you can tell. But yeah, you know, the point was that he says that we have this incredible technology, and this is what I love, where he can reduce the turnaround time from finding the pathogen to then finding the vaccine for it. Investments, advanced health systems, better immunization processes. So basically, by the end of it, he's like saying, this is our future. Thank you, TED Talks. Come knock on my door. I've got it all figured out. But yeah, he's getting like more and more excited as he's talking about the Orwellian surveillance state and the cell phones, and we'll be able to spread information about the outbreak quicker and we'll be able to watch you from satellites and stuff. And he's kind of like laying it all out, isn't he? And really setting himself up to be a future prophet because as soon as this broke, it was like, well, Bill Gates warned us. Look at his 2015 title. That was the reaction, wasn't it? Everyone, yeah. everyone came back to this and they were like... Whereas we're saying like, yeah, go back and look at it, please. Clearly the guy's... A psychopath or some kind of megalomaniac. He's been positioning himself for a while to get into the top of the World Health Organization. Yeah. This guy's not a doctor. He's not a doctor. Not a doctor. <laughs> we need a doctor! But the idea is that he is already, from this moment, you know, people, like we said, they go look back at the TED Talks. 
Well, he looks like he's calling some major shots before this. This is years before this pandemic hit, years before he'd even got in to be the main funder. And let's just call the guy who's the main funder is the owner of the company. He may not be the director of the WHO, but if he's the money man, he's running the show. So obviously, Bill Gates used the Spanish flu as a case study during his TED talk. But the truth has been revealed about the Spanish flu in 1918. Yeah, I was a, must be a bit thrilled with this myself. I didn't really know this till recently. Yeah, and there's a lot of evidence to say that it was actually bacterial pneumonia. And when, when the United States entered World War I in April 1917, the fledging pharmaceutical industry had something that they never had before, which was basically a large supply of human test subjects, guinea pigs. Yeah, essentially. And during the war years of 1918 to 1919, the US Army grew to 6 million men, of which 2 million were sent overseas. And the Rockefeller Institute for Medical Research took advantage of this and started to conduct vaccine experiments. Oh, crikey. The Rockefellers yet again. I know. And in January 1918, vaccines were administered to soldiers at Fort Riley in Kansas where shortly afterwards the vaccine was offered by the division surgeon to the camp as a whole, and the vaccine used was made in the lab of the Rockefeller Institute. Wow, there you go. So a guy called Frederick L. Gates, which we did look into to see if he was a relative of Bill's. Yeah, this is is a weird one because there was a lot of... We were doing a bit of family tree digging on Bill Gates because this guy's called Frederick Elgates. Yeah, there was some stuff saying that he was related, other stuff saying that he wasn't, but he, it, it was difficult to, which to get we, a real Which, was, that, which was strange, because you'd think you'd be able to find that out, but it was very confusing, conflicting. Conflicting was actually probably the best way to put it, if he, how he was related to Bill, if he was at all. So, yeah, we found that odd that it was, put it this way, the Gates family name is here again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least this guy was a doctor. <laughs> Dr. Frederick L. Gates. But he reported an experiment in which soldiers were given three doses, three doses, just like we're being given at the moment, of a bacterial meningitis vaccine. And the vaccines were spitball dosages of a vaccine serum derived from horses. But Gates was the guy that did the reports. And the reports showed that the men were showing flu-like symptoms, including coughs, vomiting, diarrhoea, after they received the vaccine. And these symptoms were obviously a disaster for men that were living in the barracks and travelling on trains to the Atlantic coast and sailing to Europe and living and fighting in trenches. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, can you imagine, yeah. So according to Gates... They injected random dosages of an experimental bacterial meningitis vaccine into soldiers. And then afterwards, some of the soldiers had symptoms that were categorised as simulated meningitis. But Gates advanced this fantastical claim that it was actual meningitis. So there's a straight away, it's like there's another Gates involved and there's this whole kind of conspiracy like, was it a, a fake pandemic caused by the effects of the vaccines that they gave the soldiers. It started in the barracks. Yeah, it's almost like you can see them almost trying to cover their tracks quite early by calling it this thing the Spanish flu. Yeah, well, in in 1918, influenza or flu was a a catch-call term for a disease of unknown origin. So the misdirection term Spanish flu has never been corrected. You could call it the Rockefeller pandemic. You could do. The Rockefeller flu. (laughs) 
it was certainly rocked a fella at all too. And even modern technologies not been able to pinpoint the killer influenza strain from the Spanish flu. And Spanish flu attacks healthy people in their prime and bacterial pneumonia attacks people in their prime. But flu also attacks the young, old and vulnerable. Yeah. So there's a lot to be suspicious of with the Spanish flu. And it looks like it was all a result of just a vaccine. An immunisation programme gone wrong. And, and yet it was somehow perceived to be, I came from Spain. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that's Bill's case study. Yeah. I mean, this guy worked for the Rockefellers. You know, do you know he was also, this Frederick Gates, who was also president of the Board of Education. Let's not forget as well that Bill Gates' father was the head of Planned Parenthood. And Bill Gates even said that it was his father that inspired his abortion population control views. So in a in an interview, when Bill was still at Microsoft, he revealed that it was actually his dad that inspired his funding of pro-abortion population control measures. Bill goes on to say, when I was growing up, my parents were always involved in various volunteer things. My dad was head of Planned Parenthood, and it was very controversial to be involved with that. And it's so fascinating. At the dinner table, my parents are very good at sharing the things that they were doing and almost treating us like adults. So obviously from a very early age, he was influenced there. Well, there is one thing I think we should sort of tell everyone about. This happened, ironically, a year before the film Contagion came out, which was 2011, which was something that happened in 2010. And uh, in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis, uh, the Rockefeller Foundation, oh, them guys again, uh, one of our major philanthropists, I can never say this word, do you? Philanthropists. So, I know, it's a real tongue twister for me, that. <laughs> I can never say that word. But they convened as what they called it, this was our scenario planning exercise. What a lovely, gentle way of putting it. Where future events that we may or may not be planned are gamed. And this came down in the form of Operation Lockstep. Now, for those that don't know, Operation Lockstep was a document uh, describing a global pandemic. Uh, and it started, funny enough, in China. This is a whole document playing out a scenario very similar to what we see in the film Contagion. And the whole idea of Lockstep, the whole idea of what these think tanks, these evil think tanks, let's call them, could see in the future, was how would these events affect the world and how could they profit from it? So these were the fewer things that were in Operation Lockstep. With a deadly new zootonic viral strain kills 20% of global population, mainly healthy young adults. Well, I think the predictions for like COVID were might be something a bit like that. A deadly effect on economies, industry, tourism, and supply chains. Shops could sit empty for months. Well, hmm, I don't know, we might get into this next week, but I remember the start of what happened in the pandemic and it looked like free-for-alls in supermarkets, you know, hand over fist for stuff. Toilet rolls! Oh! That was the big one <laughs> in, in the UK. Oh, man, dude, the toilet rolls. And in America, weirdly. I know. But they got those little, like, things that you wash your bum with still. Like the, <laughs> the water spraying things. The bee days. The bee days. The bee days. So, yeah, these are just a couple of things that they wrote up about in Lockstep, yeah. Was, and bear in mind, they're aiming a lot of this still at China, dude, is China's quick imposition of mandatory quarantines and near-hermetic sealing of borders to save millions. <laughs> hmm. That looks exactly like what happened in China when news of the outbreak had happened. Another couple of things just off the snide lockstep that they'd written in these. So they're saying because China has such a strict lockdown policy, well, they actually come out better. 
bitter of it. And they know that China, the way China has a good hold over its people, China's yeah. way would be the way to follow it in a pandemic. Yeah. Like you they say lockdown, people are not flaunting the rules, are they? No, they, they just not. do what they're told with in the, China. With the credit source system in place and everything, knowing it could affect yeah. their life, yes, they just they do as they're told. So the whole point that In they, fact they're so conditioned they they don't even think twice about it. They're not gonna even think that the government is is lying to them. No. They think the government has their best interests at heart. Okay. They are really in this Huxley's style prison where they don't even know that they're they're in a totalitarian regime. They just think, well, it was better than before. A couple of other things that were on the, the Rockefellers love the evil scenario of lockstep. I love the name. Lockdown, lockstep, lockstep. So it's like your brain locking in as well. Locking into their step. Yeah, their goose step. Nazis! World leaders flex their muscles, requiring face masks and body temperatures checks at public places and grocery stores and train stations. Hello, everyone. This was written in a document 11 years ago. What have you seen played out in front of you in the last 18 months? Let's go again. After pandemic, controlled measures stick and are intensified. Ooh, means like, you know, well, you can't go on holiday now if you don't have your booster, or you have to quarantine before you, you know, the measures stick. You have to do these things now if you want your life to return to a normality, right, dude? you got to do these measures, like wear your face mask. If you want to go shopping, you have to wear a face mask. That is all there. And so this was released publicly by the Rockefeller Foundation? Well, it wasn't publicly. This is a thing. This it's is just a, a simulation that they were running. Running, yeah. That has since came out. Come out. That, that all of a sudden was like, well, why were they looking into this? What, 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 what did the, their institute have to gain from playing out a scenario like this because these scenarios never planned out to find a real solution in the world. They actually planned out to create chaos and actually bring the world down. They're not actually ever done. Yeah, it's like planning to rob a bank. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> so Lockstep, um, I think, was really, I mean, the Gates talk came five years after this, his TED talk, but I think Lockstep was a very important, bearing in mind also a year out before film Contagion was... I mean, I won't just contagion just happen to stumble onto the lockstep, lockstep document and be like, this looks like a good film. I definitely think it was influenced by, yeah, SARS, things like lockstep. The idea of viruses, outbreaks, government corruption, it's all there. But I do see contagion as just a pure piece of propaganda. Yeah, I know. I mean, unlike Outbreak, to be fair, which I see more as a 90s blockbuster that's actually showing both sides of the coin, like, the corruption on the industrial uh, military complex side yeah. and things like that and you know Dustin Hoffman being the action star I, I felt like Contagion was a very sort of cold sterile trying to be super realistic warning to people like look you know this is this is how it would be and well, it was get all, ready for it, it showed us that we were almost would be all out for ourselves a bit didn't it it showed you'd all be reduced to like degenerates animals you know they, they kind of almost played out the worst fears of humanity in themselves how would you behave would you act rationally irrationally would you still be trying to help people would you be all out for yourself i think one thing we also want to just mention about uh, the rockefellers that obviously had this document, Operation Lockstep, is these guys, you know, they did create the WHO, the World Health Organization. So I mean, how in, many times have their names come up these guys this been episode? In, they've been in it from the beginning. And big like the Gates' family, uh, 
Bill Gates's grandfather. Who were very linked to the very Rockefellers. Very I mean, linked. apparently, some, some people say you follow the genealogy back far enough, the two families merge. Merge, yeah. So regardless of whether that's true or not, these families are super close. Super close. I mean, we do know that Bill's grand, uh, grandfather wrote a book on eugenics. You know, we know that they were very, these families, two generations ago, they were already really big into eugenics. Um, the Rockefellers paid for the whole floor of a German university for Ernest Rubin, who was Hitler's race purity expert. Mm-hmm. And a fellow... What a e- job title. And a fellow eugenicist while on that matter. So beware the Rockefeller stare, because these guys are murky and they deal, deal with some really horrible stuff. So... The lockstep in a hole was already a, how should we say it, was like a manual, dude. I think it was the first manual they wrote to what would it be like if we dropped a pandemic, whether it be real or not, because we've gathered now that we don't really think there's really a real pandemic going on, but they just wanted to know what the chaos would be, who would profit from it, and how they would elevate themselves. You know, I will also just mention that on their scenario lockstep, um, they actually also had that citizens would give up their privacy to paternalistic state with mandatory biometric IDs. Oh, like the COVID ID. You know, and it sounds like... A vaccine passport. One most important, actually, the last one in this scenario was Africa, Southeast Asia and Central America will suffer, will suffer disproportionate losses in absence of containment protocols. Now, basically what they're saying is there is because these countries are you know, they're not as well equipped for a pandemic. They're more likely to be suffer the heaviest losses. So they've already actually kind of identified the weakest parts of the world. We'll be giving them the kill shots. Yeah, we'll be affected like, they're firmly in the crosshairs. Africa, oh, they'll be gone first, you know, so... We're turning that into a car park. Yeah, you can see these guys clearly were looking at where the places will fall and how they would profit. Yeah, it's funny. Um, do you remember we saw that oil uh, video and it had the very early Rockefeller who had his really bad public image because he was like vastly wealthy, so wealthy for that time that he was living in America that he was actually quite despised and frowned upon in a way of sort of uh, improving his public media image, this ridiculously wealthy oil guy. You know, they thought, okay, let's, let's get him to give a dime away. To people in the streets. Yeah, yeah, and then he sort of become known as like Rockefeller the dime guy. He's always giving like people that he meets in the street, like, here's a shiny dime. You know, like maybe there's a kid, he went for the kids as well. Yeah, if like, you see a kid, give him a dime. Like, it's only a dime, you've got plenty. Come on, Rockefeller. you got millions. If you see two kids, Rockefeller, give them one each. Yes, yes photo. Before you know it, you'll be known everywhere as the dime guy. You're just giving out dimes. Any photo opportunity we get. You're the dime guy. Yeah, make sure you get a picture with the dime. You've given it to the kitty. Big smiles. <laughs> so it was this way of kind of, of these people who despised him because he was so wealthy and these people had nothing to kind of change his image and how they feel about him all of a sudden. And it did actually work. It did work. It did work. It did work. People loved him. All of a sudden they were like, oh, this guy's giving out money. Who gives out money? This is this is like yeah. 100 years ago. Who gives out and money? And it did it? actually change his Change his image. He went from a bit of a Mr. Burns kind of type. Yeah, but look how generous this guy is. And we use generous as a key word here because you know, there's a friend of their family who's uh, adopted a similar approach, isn't he? Yeah, well, we pointed out really Gates is just the modern day dime guy. You know, 
he he so clearly doesn't want to be known as the computer guy, the Microsoft guy. No, I'm not that Bill anymore. No, I'm, and I don't want to be known as the vaccine man. I don't like that name. No, he wants to be known as Bill the philanthropist. What a word. That's that's his thing. The charitable one. Philanthropy. The giver. Even when he was awkwardly quizzed on the news about his relationship with Epstein, he just couldn't wait to say, well, uh, I went to his island and we had dinner. We were talking about philanthropy. Like, well, what exactly were you talking about, Bill? I mean, like, you know, this guy was a known pedophile. Well, you know, he wanted to start a child's charity. What the fuck <laughs> do you mean? Yeah. yeah, and it's like, oh, I know someone else that was big into children's charities in a famous philanthropist. He was called Jimmy Savile. And he was the biggest nonce that Britain's ever known. That was him. Literally. I mean, and it's such a... You know, great way of disguising, like, it, everyone just thinks of me as the charity guy, as Bill the philanthropist. They're going to think I'm such a great guy. Yeah. And these stories about, oh, did you know Bill Gates has given nearly all his fortune away to, to charity? That's what a great guy mm. he is. And really, when you look at where all Bill's money's gone, he's just setting up, like, an empire. Yeah. He's just making moves. He's not such a great guy. He's seen philanthropy as not only a way of, like, being the dime guy and people thinking, oh, yeah, Bill Gates, he, he's here to save the world. The circumvent he's such a nice guy. The circumvent his will or whatever the will that people control him wanted to do. Yeah. And just got a little, little spider diagram here. He's a pretty creepy, crawly guy, so it suits him being in the middle of this spider diagram. Yeah, he's got um, three billion going to uh, Gavi, the Global Health Partnership, and uh, 4.3 billion towards the World, uh, the World Health Organization. As we said earlier, he's now the chief funder of them. But 280 million to Imperial College London, where um, this was Mr. Where Mr. Ferguson come up with his ridiculous computer models, just like he did with swine flu, where he said 100,000 people could die a day. Yeah. And then years later, had to apologise. Oh, yeah, I got that wrong. Yeah, just a little bit. And he done such a shit job on the projections for third swine flu, they decided to get him back in again to do the projections. For I mean, COVID. whenever do you employ a, like a bricklayer yeah. when a wall falls down and you employ him back again to put the wall back up? Yeah. So the if if you looked at the original, and um, we're, we're going to this more in, in the, the next episode about the stats, but he was saying... Over half a million Brits could die in the first year if this gets out. I mean, not quite, Neil. But yeah, he done exactly what he was supposed to do. Give out ridiculously high figures to mm-hmm. scare mm-hmm. everyone into complying. And he did his job well. And no wonder when he's getting paid over 280 million by Gates. 243 million was to University of Oxford, where the vaccine research and development takes place 40 million to chris witty oh that guy what England's was that chief medical officer so 40 million was it to his office yeah. hmm. 40 million 53 million to the bbc hang on they were controlling the narrative hang on so first of all you want to just ask yourself dude why why is he giving them money why is he giving the bbc yeah. money oh i'm supporting the media and communication like because that's gonna uh, strengthen you know health issues and get the word out no bill you're funding them 53 million so you can control the narrative. People have no idea that they just think, oh, he's just giving it to charities. 
now it's being spelled out. Does that sound like someone who's just giving to charity? It sounds like does that sound like someone who's wanting to completely control not not only the narrative of what's going on, but just the setup and the execution of the whole operation. He's got the institutions in his pockets, the the chief medical advisors, the media. There's Fauci, who he gives eighteen million to. 870 million to the John Hopkins account that provides all the data and statistics, which the whole thing is based off of. Privately run university. 155 million to the CDC. Hmm. Interesting. So he's got everyone in his pocket. There's basically, you're looking at the godfather of medicine. Yeah, I mean, this, this, I thought about it was fingers in pies, but now it looks more like a monopoly board where he just owns all the properties now. And it'll not be funny, as he rakes more in, he's drying more out of you. It's important to remember that, like we said, there's a difference between giving your money away to poor, starving, homeless people and then giving it to an organisation to control the narrative that supports your agenda. Massively. And now he's involved in so many other things, from buying up all the farmland in America to tackling climate change yeah. and launching these bizarre initiatives where he wants to suck the carbon out of the atmosphere or block out the sun. I mean, it really is like James Bond villain style stuff. Yeah, and you saw what gives him the right. Why is he at the front of all these videos giving these talks? Yeah, like suddenly we're supposed to believe he's an expert on health as well as computers, but oh, now he's also an expert on climate change. I mean, like the same as he hasn't got a medical degree. He's not a climatologist. What, what does he know about climate? What qualifications does he have there? None. Absolutely none. It, ma- it makes me start to think, is this guy just such a crook, he actually doesn't even really know that much about computers? It does make you wonder, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Because it's like, are you just... Like, if, if you're just a frontman, which it seems you are, because you're like, yeah, climate change, I'll front that up. Medicine, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Whatever you want. Whatever's part of the agenda... I will be a front man for, and I'll pretend that I'm like a leading expert on it. No, no problem. So was he just doing that with computers? Who's to say? I mean, we found Can out- he code? Can he, like, yeah, we bet- don't know what, what are his qualifications I bet, even there? I bet you can imagine, he probably started off Microsoft, and then the real boffins came in and were like, we'll take over the research side. You just be the front man. I mean, this is, this is the thing, I want to drop this in, you said about the farming and stuff. We now know that Bill Gates is really big into green energy, right? Same on planet. Well, did you know he's got some of the biggest shares in oil companies in the world and coal? So, I'm sorry, people, you can't have it both Slightly, ways. Slightly uh, contradictory. Yeah, you can't have it both ways, people. You can't say this guy's trying to save the, the environment while he's openly pumping money into Shell and not all drilling rigs and fracking. It's like, come he's on. He's clearly just hungry for power, money and control. Yeah. That's what he's interested Whether that's in. Whether that's serving the interests of people like him. The people above it. Definitely. And he's so chummy with the Rockefellers, that should just send massive alarm bells straight away. He's not this person that we're led to believe. Like, oh, Bill Gates, he was just a normal guy down in the basement. If a nuclear strike ever happened with his family, he's just like you. (laughs) Do you know the Rockefellers? No. There's actually a video of uh, Bill Gates um, reading some of his favourite books a Bill Gates book club <laughs> and you can find like a still image of uh, of Bill with uh, reading a book with a, with a pile of books 
kind of his faves next to him. And one of the books is clearly, you can read on the spine, it, it says How to Lie with Statistics, which is quite quite a famous book. But, I mean, he, he's, he's telling you all the time that he's not someone that you should trust. Yeah. He's <laughs> just got to listen. He always puts the warnings out there for you. Yeah. And Bill Gates is obviously chummy with Fauci. Anthony Fauci's been like our equivalent of, say, um, witty. Yeah. He was like the chief in America. Middle of and Gates and Fauci are in bed together. Gates funds <laughs> everything that Fauci does. And Fauci had a little um, prediction of his own in 2017. They like to tell you what's coming, you know. And um, he said, there is no doubt that Donald Trump will be confronted with a surprise infectious disease outbreak during his presidency. And I love the way that's worded, because it, it kind of reminds me of Mystic Meg. Like we used to have like a, a, a little psychic column in one of the tabloid newspapers in Britain called The Sun. And then it was like, Mystic Meg. And that's just the way that she, she would say it. Like, it's always about horror you will be horror. confronted with a surprise infectious disease outbreak. Like, it's like he's got a crystal ball. You know, how could he possibly know that? Donald Trump will be confronted with a surprise infectious disease outbreak during his presidency. That is pretty suspicious for him just to come out on that right and say that. I mean, when people make these sort of predictions, you're like, "Why?" I mean, no one else has come out and said anything. Yeah. It's not like it's not like a like a team of doctors around the world and gone. Fauci's looked into his crystal ball <laughs> and he he's he's decided. I mean, bear in mind, Fauci for more than three decades has been advising the past five United States presidents on global health threats. So he is like the guy from the early days of the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s through to the Zika virus outbreak. He's always been there. We know that last, I want to say last year, 2019, and Bill Gates has admitted this, that he actually had, uh, in the whole year prior to this whole thing dropping on us, he had quite a few dinners with Anthony Fauci. They had quite a few sit-down dinners together. Just as he did with Epstein. Just as he did with Epstein. And what was he talking about? Philanthropy. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Charitable, goodwill, giving. They had met. Now, you have to ask yourself, what do these guys talk about at these meetings? This guy's been advising presidents on how to avoid pandemics, stem population flow, things like that. And then, of course, they're speaking to a guy whose grandfather wrote a book on eugenics. It's yeah. also quite into population. But they want you to think that they're just talking about heal the world, make it a better place. Like, yeah. Really? You think that's what they're meeting up to discuss? Like, oh, these people, they, they care about us so much. Did you not see them? They love the planet. I swear I saw them in Michael Jackson's Earth video. There was Fauci in the front holding up the globe. What about us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these guys, you ask them, what, what do they talk about? What, you know, it's, it's, if it's not these two, I'll just say it's the same with the Bilderberg group. You know, there's no minutes made. What do these people talk about that are so yeah. uh, uh, for the common interest of everyone else? And you can... They make the decisions. Again, you can go on the internet and you can see protesters back in the 80s holding up banners saying, Dr. Fauci, you yeah. are killing us. Yeah. You know, he's not just a public enemy number one for a lot of people at the moment, just like Bill Gates. Look at this guy's history. He's crooked. You know, the reason that he's in the position that he's in is he, he has no morals, no empathy. He will do whatever he's told. Mm. If He has no moral consequences for killing thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions if it comes to it. 
That's why he's the perfect vessel for this agenda because mm. it, he would just do whatever, no questions asked. He's proved that. Yeah. He's proved himself. Just like Gates, he will do it. You know, it's not because they're boffins or they're the best at what they do. No, they just do anything that they're told, no questions. It's almost like the perfect soldier. Yeah, yeah, they're just dirtbags that don't have any ethics, morals, or empathy for human suffering. (laughs) That's their only credentials. There's a quote from H.L. Mencken, the urge to save humanity is almost always a false front for the urge to rule. And I think that's just so applicable to people like Fauci and Gates. You know, they they, they, they front up like these philanthropists and these like, charitable people but to me it's it's just see-through as the Rockefeller dime guy so Bill Gates through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and working with the WHO and being such a large funder uh, he worked in pushing vaccine Mm -hmm. agendas and within the health sector not as a doctor but for (laughs) a long time but but it was only six weeks I think before the pandemic kicked off that he resigned completely from Microsoft. Yeah. I remember seeing it in the news. Oh, Bill, Bill yeah, Gates it was, it was, stands it, down and he's now he's now going to concentrate on his philanthropy full time. There it is. And he then was fully on board with the WHO. That was his that was his main thing now. Yeah. And Trump's now pulled out as well, isn't he? Because at this point Trump has now pulled out. Now he's so Gates has given up Microsoft and moved firmly into pole position in the WHO. Yeah, right. And a matter of weeks before the pandemic kicked off, similar to, to lockstep that we spoke about earlier, but not like a decade before, <laughs> a matter of weeks before, <laughs> oh, event 201 happens. Yeah, scary. Now, event 201 was even closer on the money in terms of predicting what was going to happen. It was a simulation for something which was almost identical to COVID. Yeah, they, they ran through everything in terms of how it... It was almost like Bill Gates' TED Talk put into a full operational scale pandemic of what would happen. Unlike in lockstep, they had all these sort of, well, this should happen, this should happen. Difference with 201, they were like, oh, they already knew. It was like, there's going to be chaos here. Food shortages here. Fuel's going to be impacted here. They planned out the whole crisis. Like you said, they were identical. Like the whole simulation of event 201 was... A pre-meditation to what the COVID pandemic would look like for Hiddis. Um, I think it's remarkable that they would even look at something like this or could even predict something like this only a matter of weeks before this so, happened. So the similarities, right, as as far as I know, it was a respiratory disease yeah. that had flu-like symptoms. It was a influenza type yeah, of flu. All the things already that it would be started from China. China. Even that it would be asymptomatic. You know, it would be the sort of disease that would get into a population and very sort of subtly infect them because you have very small symptoms. And like like you said, flu-like symptoms. You can have a cold reese that has flu-like symptoms too. You know what I mean? Without it necessarily being the flu. So, you know, for me, it was like lockstep all over again. It was just the same program. But this time... More this time it was a full-on simulation. Full-on simulation, not just a Almost document. like a driver. Yeah, not a driver, not even a document. A for what was going to happen. Not just simulation, even a computer simulation like that. Yeah. Now... For what was going to happen a matter of weeks later. And the thing was, who was running it? Who, who was responsible for this simulation? It was the Gates Foundation, the World Economic Forum, the John Hopkins University. And we know them John Hopkins bastards. 
who was there to receive it in his bills. Philanthropy efforts, you know. So these guys, well, they've been paid for by Bill. So whatever he says, they were all strands from the web. Yeah, yeah. Earlier, yeah. When when Bill was the the spider, he was giving serious money to all and of these. Like these are just a few little strands. Who, by the way, are going to run a simulation onto what would be like a pandemic here the world. And then by by this point, Gates had his minions in key positions. Yeah. Ted Ross, long-time Gates collaborator, sat on various different committees, that were all mostly funded by Gates. And He's Ted not- Ross is now sitting as director general yeah. of the WHO, also not a doctor. A guy in a medicine field yeah. that's not- Just a crook. <laughs> He, he was a key figure to have it in because, like I said, this was just another puppet of Gates's. So it's perfect. I got my wingman. Ted Ross, can you just tell the people to, to, to do the track and trace? So what does Ted Ross do? Right, everyone in the world, all countries, you have to do track and trace. He's not a doctor. He didn't even have actually any advice to do track and trace. He just made it out like, oh, I've had advice from the people of my place that said we do track and trace. You didn't get advice from your advisors. Bill Gates just told you to tell everyone, now you just start to track and trace. Because track and trace effectively, dude, is surveillance, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's surveillance of people. Because he's talking about tracking your movements. You may not be infectious or carrier, but he's talking about track and trace. Tracking every, everyone's movements. That, to me, dude, is just another step in the Orwellian state. So, in the next episode, we're going to talk about the outbreak of COVID-19. We've set the stage now and introduced all the main players within the pandemic. And now we're going to move on to looking at how things kicked off in China and how the Chinese response set a blueprint for the rest of the world to follow in terms of our response to the virus that has gone on to change our world. I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Schism. We've got plenty more episodes on the way. In the meantime, follow us on our Instagram at schism.tv and keep watching the skies.